Luke chapter 2. Boy, the Christmas dinner was just awesome, you guys. So enjoyable. Great food. Good fellowship. A really fun time. And just, of course, want to say thanks to everybody for your, for your help. It's uh, a ton of work, and it takes a whole church to pull off a night like that. So everyone who helped in the kitchen or, you know, cook turkeys or set up, clean up, all that stuff, boy, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Always a, a great highlight. Luke chapter 2. Why don't we pray this morning as we come to God's word. Father, we just uh, thank you for the written word. We love the written word because it points us to Jesus, the living word. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray this morning, Lord, that in a new way you would just take up more residence in every one of our hearts, Lord. That we would... Uh, surrender our lives to you today, Lord, that our, that our hearts would be like that manger, Lord, that our hearts would be a throne for you to rule and to reign and to be Lord. And so, God, we, we open up our hearts to you this morning. We pray your blessing upon this time in the word, Lord. We pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint it. We pray that, that each heart would just be transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. If you take the, the drive from Nazareth to Bethlehem, um, I don't know, I would say two, three hours at a good pace driving. And so uh, young Joseph with his betrothed wife loaded up, uh, had her pregnant nine months on a donkey and off they went to Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. It's a place in the scripture that speaks of provision and of the Lord's sustenance and the way that he provides for his people. We read in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. I mean, just to get this bit of a picture in our heart and in our mind, here's Mary with, with her precious little baby boy, wrapped with the care of a firstborn, swaddled. I remember my, my kids, you know, when they were little, the way those arms and those legs kick when they're first out of the womb and just kind of out of control. And you know as a parent that they, they like to just be wrapped nice and tight and swaddled in, the arms and the legs in, and... Reminds them of their womb and swaddled in, in, in cloths and, and placed in the manger because, as the scripture says, there was no room for him in the inn. Now never, not for a second, did it ever cross the mind, I think, of Mary that day that the time would come when someone else would wrap Jesus in cloths and they would lay him not in a manger, but that he would be laid in a tomb uh, for the sins of mankind. And there's this sense in the Christmas story and in the life of Jesus that really 
Um, no room in the inn would become a theme for his life. No room amongst the religious. No room in the hearts of some men. No, no room for Jesus. For the savior of the world. Verse 8 says. In the same region. There were shepherds out in the field. Keeping watch over their flock by night. Now in that region of Bethlehem. When you go and you visit Bethlehem. One of the things that you see is the shepherds fields. Because that region. Called the house of bread. Was um, prominent for raise, the raising of sheep. The reason why was because in Bethlehem. They would raise sheep for a very specific purpose. For temple sacrifice. Bethlehem's just six miles from the city of Jerusalem. Where the temple was. And so the, these animals were raised there for the sacrifice. Now verse 9 says. Here they are out in the field. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with Great fear. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Uh, it's, it's really easy to just read over this and not think about what we're reading. But think about that for a moment. An angel appeared to them. For an angel to appear, that means that this angel comes into visible uh, sight. Becomes visible. Materializes from the spiritual realm into the physical realm. And these shepherds behold with their eyes an angel. We know that angels are, I mean, in the scripture sometimes visible, but mostly invisible. We don't see them. That they function in another dimension in where we don't see with our, with our human eyes that are beyond human sight. You know, the Bible tells one story of a time when armies gathered against Israel in the Old Testament. And the prophet of the Lord was there and his assistant was with him. And his assistant cried out, oh no, what are we going to do? Look at these armies. And the prophet said to him, no, no, we outnumber them. And he said, Lord, open his eyes. And the man's eyes were open and he saw for a moment into the spiritual realm and he saw a host of angels. An army that surrounded the people of God and that were going to defeat this physical army that had come against Israel. It's cool to think that really angels are here present with us this morning, right? They're ministering spirits, the Bible says. They, they work on our behalf, ministering spirits, who are sent to serve those who are heirs of salvation. Uh, there is a host of angels present here this morning, even though we can't see them. You know, I remember one time when we were kids, we were, we were going on, on holidays in the summer, and we stopped in Vancouver to visit my uncle. It was down somewhere in Nanaimo Street area, near the Peony. And as we were leaving, uh, we went for a walk around the block with my uncle and we picked up this, we met this guy on the street and my uncle volunteered and he said, oh, they'll give you a ride to where you're going. And so uh, we're leaving on holidays. I mean, the car is jammed. And uh, so we squish in, there's six seats. So now I'm in the middle between my dad and this stranger in the front with mom and my two siblings in the back. And uh, as we're cruising down the road, uh, this man looked over at my dad and he said, Whoa, you're a righteous man. Let me out of this car. And my dad pulled over and the guy jumped out and off he went. And uh, later when my parents talked to my uncle, my uncle said, You know what? 
I began to pray for you as you left and the Lord told me that man was going to kill your family and he was going to take everything and I don't know what that man saw but God protected us. Angels sent to serve the heirs of salvation. In the Old Testament there are many angelic appearances you know we read where the Bible actually says angels appeared they manifested in the physical realm we've been going through the Exodus story that's a spot where we've seen physical appearances manifestations of angels uh, with Moses of course right he met the angel of the Lord it appeared to him there's a story in Judges of a Gideon who was threshing wheat in a wine press because he was hiding in fear from the Midianites and an angel appeared to him and he had this, this direction from him. There's a story also in, in um, Judges of Manoah's wife who was, became Samson's mother and an angel appeared to her and told her of the, that she was going to be with child and, and give birth to Samson and in each of those instances, whether you, it's Moses or Gideon or Manoah's wife, when angels appeared in the physical realm to people, the natural reaction was, when you go to the Old Testament, was absolute fear, terror. In fact, when you read those stories, the essentially, essentially, the reaction was this, oh no, I am going to die. Okay, this wasn't a, a lovely, soft little thing. But for each heart that was gripped with fear in one of those accounts, the message of the angel was the same. Whether it was Moses or Gideon or Manoah's wife, the message was this, fear not. Fear not. And the pattern when angels appeared was this. When you read the Old Testament, when angels appeared, the pattern was this. Think about the, the, the story that I mentioned in regards to the prophet at the start, how the eyes were open and he saw when angels appear in the scripture, there's going to be a great work of deliverance that is going to happen. The, the Lord is promising in each one, of, he promised in each one of those stories that he was going to begin a fresh work of deliverance amongst his people. And for deliverance to happen, what you need is a deliverer. And so in each of those instances that I mentioned of angelic appearances, the word of the Lord through the angel messenger was this God is raising up a deliverer think about the story of Moses Moses you're going to go back to Egypt fear not you're going to go back to Egypt and you're going to deliver my people Gideon fear not filled with fear mighty warrior the angel called him I'm going to use you to deliver my people from the Midianites or Manoah's wife uh, fear not, I'm going to raise up a son through your womb, Samson, who will deliver the people from the Philistines. You flip to the New Testament and there's uh, three stories in Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, in his life of angelic appearances, but they were slightly different because in Joseph's case, all of his, uh, the appearances of angels happened for him in the night when he was sleeping in his dreams. Um, the first time was 
when Joseph uh, discovered that this young girl to whom he was betrothed to be married, Mary, was pregnant and he knew that it wasn't his child and when he considered these things, he decided that the scripture says that he would quietly divorce her, that he was an honorable man and so he would quietly divorce her. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in his dream and told him, uh, that what was that, that he should not be afraid to take Mary as his wife because what was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. And the angel told him, she will give birth to a son and you are to give, them, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. After Jesus was born, Joseph had another dream. King Herod had ordered a manhunt. He sent his soldiers to, Beth, uh, to Bethlehem where they were to murder every boy child under the age of two in hopes that they would murder this coming king. And the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, uh, I want you to take your son and flee to Egypt until the time is safe again. And so second time, angel appears and speaks to Joseph in a dream. Third time was this, when he was in Egypt... He had another dream and the angel spoke to him and said that Herod had passed away and that it was now safe to return uh, to the land of Israel and thus the, the word of God was fulfilled. Matthew tells us in his gospel, out of Egypt I called my son and Joseph brought Jesus back from Egypt and he went to a town in Galilee called Nazareth as it was prophesied, he will be called a Nazarene, and there he raised Jesus. So all throughout, uh, so I would say, although Joseph had these experienced angelic appearances, his were via dreams, a little bit different than some of those ones that I mentioned before. And so they weren't, I would say this, they weren't in the pattern of promising the coming of a deliverer. But there is the same pattern in the New Testament and in the Christmas story that we see in the Old Testament. The first one happens with Zechariah. We mentioned him last week in our, uh, in our study. That prior to the birth of Jesus, Zechariah was serving as a priest in Jerusalem and he had been selected by lot to go into the temple and to offer prayers and burn incense at the altar of incense and so as he was in there doing his thing the bible says that on his right hand side an angel appeared to him materialized came out of the spiritual realm into the physical realm and the bible tells us that Zechariah was startled and that he was gripped with great fear as you can imagine and the pattern is exactly the same as with Moses, as with Gideon, as with Samson's mother, as it was for, Ze for Zechariah. The angel said to him, fear not. Fear not. And not only that, the angel began to, uh, he said, your prayer has been heard. And through the womb of your barren wife, I'm going to Elizabeth, I'm going, a, a son will be sent and he will be great. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he will turn the hearts of the children of Israel back to the Lord. And the angel continued and said, He himself will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the, children, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, 
to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so we know John the Baptist came. He was born from that barren womb, from Elizabeth's womb. And he would be a spiritual deliverer for the hearts of the people of Israel, turning them from sin to repentance, baptizing them, uh, making straight, as Isaiah prophesied, uh, the highway for the ultimate coming of the ultimate deliverer. There's another appearance. It's in Luke chapter 1 of an angel. To Mary. The Bible tells us that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, to a city in the Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin who was betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph, who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel manifested, appeared uh, in, in the physical realm, came out of the spiritual realm before Mary, and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But the Bible says, Whoa, what happened to her? She was greatly troubled. And that she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. That word of comfort again. For you have found favor with God. And behold, he said, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. And he will be, called, and he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so as with the pattern of Moses, the pattern for Gideon, the pattern for Manoah, the pattern for Zechariah, the pattern for Mary, so on that night when Jesus was born, the same thing happened for some shepherds who were out in the field. God sent an angelic messenger with the good news of deliverance, this time to this group of lowly shepherds. Now you think about a shepherd. The metaphorical picture of what a shepherd is. It's beautiful, actually. Looking for the lost, tending to the young, leading sheep to water and to green pasture, you know, protecting sheep from predators that might turn them into a, an easy meal. Bible tells us Jesus is the good shepherd. It, I mean, the shepherd is a great picture for us, spiritually speaking, of, of nurture, of caring, of the tending nature of God. But the reality is this. Being a shepherd was no prized occupation. My son became a shepherd. No, not the case. Moses only became a shepherd because he first murdered an Egyptian and had to flee for his life. David was in the field looking after the sheep because he was the youngest and he was the least significant out of seven brothers in his father's household. Now I've told you guys this before, but the first time I went to Israel, I asked my guide, Ronnie, who was a, a New Yorker, a Jew who had been in Israel for about 30 years. I said to him, uh, and sincerely, I was talking to him. I was interested. You know, I'm like, just firing questions at him. I asked him about shepherding as an occupation in Israel. And he totally sneered at me. He said, Jews don't look after sheep. 
And I was like, whoa, with all the attitude of a New York Jew, okay? There was nothing desirable in that culture in regards to being a shepherd. If you had written the Christmas story, you have to understand this and understand the culture of that time. Your story would not include shepherds. It wouldn't. Oh, they're really cute on a pageant and a Christmas dinner. But your story wouldn't include shepherds. They were dirty. You think about it. They lived amongst livestock. Real people sleep with a roof over their heads in a bed, right? Shepherds slept out in the pasture with animals. Real people take a bath once in a while. These guys, I don't know how long they'd be gone from home. And so as much as we might like to glorify the work of a shepherd in the Christmas story, the truth is, is that there was nothing glorious or righteous about being a shepherd. It was anything but that. But that's the gospel story, isn't it? That's the good news. It doesn't exclude. It certainly doesn't begin with the high-minded, the, the, the wealthy, the rich, those who live in ivory, ivory Tory ivory towers the gospel is a story of God becoming a man descending from the heights of of heaven and coming to earth and he began his or he entered into the earth he was he was born and lived and first joined those who smelled like barnyard animals he was born in a barn he was laid in a manger And the first who came to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who was at that very moment sustaining the entire universe by the word of his mouth as he laid there, were shepherds. Verse 10 says to us, the angel said to them, so the angels appeared to them, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So there they were, you know, keeping watch over their flocks by night, making sure no lamb wandered off, making sure no wolves attempted to steal their sheep. I imagine them, you know, maybe fire going, laying on their backs, looking at the stars as they were hanging out with their, with their flocks. And out of nowhere... It was really a night like no, like any other night until this happened. An angelic appearance. Think of Moses, Gideon, Noah's wife, Zechariah, Mary, the shepherds. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. I, I don't know what that looks like. They have the glory of the Lord shine around you. I, I don't know. Does that mean like, I don't know, is it just light? Is it, uh, I'm blanking out here, what do we call those lights in the Arctic, you know? Is they, Northern Lights, was it like that? What did these guys see as the glory of the Lord appeared to them? And their reaction was absolutely normal. What did they do? They freaked out. <laughs> Fear. That self-preserving, God-engineered human emotion gripped their hearts. The Bible says they were sore afraid. 
You know that old English? Sore afraid. That's what the King James says. Not that they feared greatly or something like this. But it says they were sore afraid. Think about what that means. That means those shepherds were so gripped with fear that it physically manifested in pain in their bodies. You ever had that kind of fear in your life? Where it physically manifests? I mean, it, it, it gripped them and it hurt and it throbbed and it ached and the fear seized their, their heart. Fear seized their mind and this was not, oh wow, look, an angel. No. This was, oh no, I'm going to die. In the Greek, I love this. In the Greek, it's described this way. This is what happened to them. Megas phobio phobos. <laughs> we recognize some of those. Mega phobio phobos. It's fear, okay? That means this. In English, and it, it could be translated this way, literally in our Bibles, they were struck with terror. So great was their terror that the original language says two variations of the verb fear. Phobio and phobos. And adds an ad adjective. Mega. <laughs> Sore afraid. You imagine that. It gripped their hearts and minds. And so like, like Moses, like Gideon, like Samson's mother, none of them. Oh wow, look, an angel. This was like, I am going to die. And to them, the angel said, fear not. Fear not. To shepherds so seized with fear that it physically manifests in pain in their bodies, he said, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. I love this. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Uh, he's saying this. Fear gripped you, but don't let fear grip you. Rather, grip hold of this. Good news of great joy for all people. You know, that's what the Lord, I, I love this about the Lord. The Lord doesn't just say don't. Don't. That's what I do to my kids, right? Don't talk to your sister like that. Don't do that to your brother. Don't say that. Don't do, my kids are working over there. Don't do this. Why? Because I said so. Hey, that's, that's how it goes. The Lord's not like that though. The Lord says, fear not. And when he says, fear not, what he offers is an exchange, a trade, a swap. Fear has gripped you, but I want you to let go of your fear and I want you to take hold of this. Let me give you something in exchange for your fear. Let go of it and grip hold of good news. Behold, think about this good news. Think about what I'm telling you. Terror has seized you, but now be seized by this. Let your heart and mind see. I bring great news. Uh, good news. Great joy for all people. 
Fear really does seize people, doesn't it? Sometimes fears take the form of anxieties. Fear takes the form of worry. You know, fear can take the form of physical pain in your body. The shepherds were sore afraid. Fear can get a grip on you. But God does not want you or I to live a life controlled and manipulated by fear. And I think the, the story of Christ's birth teaches us an incredible principle for having victory over fear. Behold good news. Let go of your fear and behold this. Good news. Think upon good news. Take hold of good news. Man, you know, some of the most fearful people, people that sit and watch the news. Because it's terrible. It's just terrible news all the time. Fills you with fear. Take hold of good news. Fear has enslaved you. The Egyptians had enslaved the people of Israel and God raised the deliverer Moses. The Midianites stole from the Israelites and robbed them of their food and their spoils and of their hard works and God raised the deliverer, Gideon. For generations, the Philistines terrorized and instilled fear in the Israelites and God raised up for them a deliverer named Samson. Good news, great joy, glad tidings for all people. This day, a savior, a deliverer is born. He is Christ the Lord. That was the message of the angels. A savior, savior a deliverer, uh, the announcement of a deliverer. And there is no confusion as to his identity, according to the angel here. This is him. This is the one. This is the one you've been looking for. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one who will fulfill your hopes. This is the one who will answer the longings of your heart. A savior is born. He is Christ the Lord. Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the rescuer, the liberator, the deliverer, the emancipator, the champion. You know, I would say the knight in shining armor has rolled up. And his name is King Jesus. And he will save his people from sin. See, this time the enemy's not Egypt. And this time the enemy's not the Midianites. And this time the enemy is not the Philistines. And this time the enemy is not a barren womb. The, the, the deliverer is not a stuttering Moses. The deliverer is not waffling Gideon. The, the deliverer is not a womanizing Samson. This time, the enemy is death itself, sin. This time, it is the deliverer, the Lord himself. What was, what was the delivery message? Isaiah 61 tells us, the spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim, proclaim liberty to captives and, to op and the opening of prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, 
that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Now Isaiah also prophesied about Jesus and he said this about Jesus in Isaiah 50 verse 4. Speaking of Jesus, the Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. I love that. The long-awaited Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, uh, King Jesus, the announcement of a deliverer, a message to these lowly shepherds. News too good to be true. And so what should the Lord do? Well, he's going to send a sign like he always does. Shall a staff become a snake? Should the shadow go down the stairs 10 steps? Shall there be a swarm of flies or shall they worship at Mount Zion or shall I tell them that the missing donkeys have been found or shall I send to them prophets who will give them bread? To Eli in the the book of Judges in the Old Testament, the man of God said to him, in first, or sorry, in First Samuel chapter two, verse thirty-five, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And this will be the sign to you, Eli. Your sons Hophni and Phineas will die the same day. What sign shall the Lord send the Bethlehem shepherds? Oh, verse 12. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What an unusual place to find a baby. I don't know if you've ever gone into a barn and found a baby. You know, that's not normal. That's unusual. Should not the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the great deliverer, the living God who's clothed himself in flesh to come and set his people free from their sins, shouldn't he be born in a palace amongst kings? His name shall be Jesus. Paul said of him at his name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, and God saw fit in his infinite wisdom to place a baby in no place where a baby should, in a place where a baby should never be laid. In a stable, in a barn, laid in a manger surrounded with animals and all the mess of a barn. And as the angels announced this sign to the, to the shepherds, something else happened. In verse 13, it tells us, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this just, this whole announcement of the deliverer just grows because it's not just a single angel. This isn't just like, Moses saving people from Egypt or Gideon saving. It's way bigger than that. Forget the single angel if that's not significant enough. Suddenly there was a multitude from heaven. 
a heavenly host. And, and this is so significant. They, they, they praise God and they begin to say, and they're singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It reminds me of the disciples who came to Jesus and they said this to Jesus. Teach us how to pray. And so he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it starts with those words, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the prayer goes on as you know well. See, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, uh, he, you, you got to notice what the order of that prayer is, the attitude, the direction of the prayer, and it was this. Uh, as we've seen in the book of Exodus, heaven needs to come down to earth. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we're... We, Going through the book of Exodus, we've seen this time and time again as God is delivering his people from slavery in Egypt and they're meeting with him. Heaven came down to Mount Sinai. We've seen it in the books of, book of Exodus that Jesus was the separation point between heaven and earth and the access between the two. Heaven came down. And as the multitude of the heavenly hosts praised the Lord, the direction of their praise was the same as the prayer that Jesus taught and the same as the pattern that we've seen in Exodus. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men with whom God is pleased. To heaven they sang glory to God in the highest. That, that statement like, just to try and wrestle through that, to try and think about what that means, like that, that is a statement that is beyond human comprehension. Well, how high can glory be? I mean, you and I have a perception of glory, but angels have a whole other perception of glory because they see the physical and the spiritual realm. They've seen heaven. They've seen the Lord. See, this statement is... is I mean, how do you break it down? The word glory, glory to God in the highest, speaks of ascribing an opinion about God. Uh, to, to make an estimation of him, to, to make a judgment regarding God. And the judgment that this angelic host made of God was in regards to his character. And, and the most excellent way that they could, you know, I mean, you think about the angels, they could consider, they were considering God and the work of the incarnation, that he had become flesh and come as a, a child. And at the forefront of their thinking was this, this is Emmanuel, God with us, this is amazing. Glory to God in the highest. Here you have the host of heaven who on, on some level and far beyond ours, they have beheld the eternal triune God. In all of his heavenly glory. In their minds there's no confusion as to the identity of God. You, you have to know that as you read this story. See you can be confused. You might question the reality of God's love. You may question the incarnation of Jesus. You may question the legitimacy that God could become a man. 
But for the angels, they, didn't, they weren't confused. No confusion on their part. No question. They had seen the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the universe, in his most exalted state on the throne of heaven. They had heard the worship of the seraphim in heaven, this, this angelic host who cries out nonstop, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The, the earth is filled with his glory. They understood the identity of the little baby laying in the manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. They understood that no man could ascend into heaven so God had to descend to earth. And cloak all of his glory in human flesh. They understood that the voice that was sustaining the entire universe at that very moment was veiled in the flesh of that little child lying in the manger. They understood that this was the most indescribable act of, humi of humility that, that history has ever seen. That he arrived in the most, most humblest and, and vulnerable ways as a baby. And with all of these things in mind, the angel host made a judgment about God. And they began to sing their opinion. And they ascribed to God the glory that was due his name. And they praised him and they said, glory to God in the highest. Magnificence. Excellence, preeminence, dignity, grace, and majesty, and honor, and respect are yours, O high king of heaven. In the highest of forms, it all belongs to you. Your glory is tall, and it's lofty, and it's towering. You know, the eagle soars, and the cedar stands mighty and tall. The ocean's deep mountains are high, but but. God, high king of heaven, you are the very Everest of glory. The heavens cannot contain you. The starry host and the sun and the moon, they bow down to you. The earth is your footstool. Eternity is your dwelling place. And what is man that you are mindful of him? Power and riches and strength are yours. Excellence, praise, and grace are yours. Honor, respect, and majesty are yours. Dignity, preeminence, sovereignty are yours. Glory to God in the highest. A baby lying in a manger. What a scene. And then their praise moved from heaven to earth. And they said, and on earth, peace. Peace. And on earth peace. And on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. See this is a story of deliverance. The story of a deliverer. And the message was peace. Peace to men. That means harmony. I think about peace. It, to me peace describes that kind of harmonious, tranquil, um, state of a soul that is resting in God. That, that state of a soul that is sure of its salvation through Jesus Christ. Uh, the state of a soul that so fears nothing because it's totally content with its earthly lot because it has Jesus Christ. 
peace. I think every heart wants that, don't you? Every heart wants peace. We look for it in all sorts of things. Possessions, you know, relationships, money, busyness, whatever it is. It's what every human heart desires. Assurance and rest in the soul. You know, you can have that. That's what this message was. Peace to men on whom God's favors rest. You, you might think to yourself, well, I don't know who God is. I don't know the character of God. I don't know the intentions of God towards me. Look, this morning you can put all of that to rest and know with assurance who God is and what his character is and what his intentions towards you are. Because all of those questions are answered singularly in one person, Jesus Christ. The intentions of God's towards you are singular, peace. What an awesome thing. That's God's intention for you. Peace, how'd you like that? Peace with God, the peace of God. How wonderful to know that God's intentions towards you and towards me are singular. Peace, goodwill towards men. Not ill will, not hidden intention, not harmful, not hostile, good will to men. He says, on whom his favor rests. I was thinking about this years ago, Lisa and I, um, we got invited to a New Year's get together, some old friends, and there's six or seven couples. And we arrived, and we got there, and the food was out, and this and that. And we quickly realized that we were the third wheel amongst this group. That this group was really tight and that they hung out and they had invited us, but we were not in their class. We were, you ever been to something like that? We were not among them. We were not, they did not count us amongst their peers. And we said, man, that was the worst New Year's ever. I never want to do something like that ever again. It was terrible. I mean, we all know what it feels like to not fit in. To not be a part of things. Whenever I think of this, I think of taking my kids over to the North Shore and, and going to play hockey at Hollyburn. Because when you go to play hockey at Hollyburn, it's a private club where y- you got to give bank statements before you get to join the club. And, and, and everything it felt like when I've been there that's there is, is designed to make those who f- are not a part of things know that you're not a part of things. And you know, you, you, you drive onto the property and if you're a visitor you go way down in the parking lot down there and you know there, I think there's secret access points and different things to get it no it's it, but it's like that and you, you feel like you don't belong and in a sense like you're not welcome and by the end of your few hours there you know you have no doubts I don't belong here just like my new year's party but that's not Jesus Jesus is not like that his offer is peace to all on whom his favor rests. For all men. The ESV here that we're reading this morning, the English Standard Version says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I, I mean, I get that, but I don't really like that translation. With whom he is pleased. Because some of us, we feel like, well, God's not pleased with me. 
So is that not available for me? Is that not for me? You know, it gives this impression that peace is only available for those with whom God is pleased. The old NIV says it way better. It says, on earth to men, on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And that means all men, God's favor rests on you. Or the King James Version says it this way, on earth peace, goodwill to men. See, what that tells me is that peace is available to all who will come to Jesus. This is not an exclusive message for some. It is inclusive for all. An inclusive message for all men on whom God's favor rests. You know that? God's favor is on your life. What an awesome thought to think, wow, God's favor is on my life. Well, I don't feel that. I don't. Really? His favor's on my life? Because I don't feel like God's favor's on my life. You might think that. Look, if you've, maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You never waved the white flag and repented of your sins and turned to him in faith and invited him to be the Lord of your life and to rule in your heart. You might especially think, I, I don't sense God's favor on my life. Here's how I know God's favor is extended to you. Because there's breath in your lungs. You're still kicking. <laughs> you're here with us this morning. And that tells me that God's favor is on your life. Because God wants you to know about Jesus. God wants you to know about the peace that's available to you through Jesus. His favor is on your life. I, I know that his good will is extended to you this morning. He's letting you know peace. And so we couldn't ascend into heaven. So he became Emmanuel and he descended to earth to give us that peace. God with us. Peace found in the person of Jesus. Verse 15 says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go see this thing that, ha that has happened, that God has made known to us. That's, that's just the proper response. That's just the proper response when you hear about Jesus to say, man, I better go check it out. I better go see and look into this thing. Verse 16 says, and they went in with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Remember, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The verb that described their response to the words of the angel was this. They went in haste. They did it quickly. They didn't wait. They responded to the message that they had heard. And when they went... What happened? They found things were just as they had been told they would be. Because that's how God works. He doesn't say go here and then move the goalposts. He says if you want peace, you go to Jesus Christ and guess what you'll find? Peace. Goodwill to all men. Verse 17, we'll read through to 20. And when they saw it, 
They made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherd, at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. All that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I love verse 19 that says, Mary treasured these things and she pondered them in her heart. That's what we need to do with the Christmas story as we think of all that Jesus has done for us. The Christmas story is amazing. And it, and it just, the, the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, just gets better because we know that that child became a man and he was crucified and he died on the, the cross for your sin and my sin that, that there would be nothing left to separate us from our Father who is in heaven. And when he died, he was buried. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And the Bible says that he is coming again. But what a great message this morning as we think of the Christmas story. Fear has gripped you. Let go of it. And take hold of good news and know that peace is made available to you through Jesus Christ. Let's pray this morning. Why don't you guys stand with me? I invite the worship team to come. This morning we're celebrating communion. And uh, communion is just a a time that's appropriate to respond to Jesus. And I, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Um, maybe you've never invited Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life to be the Lord of your life. The Bible says that uh, when Jesus comes into your life, it's a change of direction. That's what happens. That your direction of life is going this way and you do a full 180 and you're going to go this way. And the Bible says that that happens through this act. It's called repentance. That you repent of your sin and you then turn in faith. That means I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of it. And I'm going to turn from my sin and I'm going to turn 180 degrees in faith towards you and trust that as you come and be the Lord of my life, that you will give me that peace, that you will forgive me of my sin, that you will give me the gift of eternal life. And it's all gifts. That's, that's why at Christmas we give gifts. Because Jesus first gave himself. And so this morning, I want us to pray. And if you'd like to just invite Jesus Christ into your heart and in your life, I invite you just to pray along with me. All right? Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, this morning I repent of my sin. I ask you that you'd forgive me. I thank you, Jesus, that you came as Emmanuel, God with us. I thank you, Jesus, that your intentions towards me are peace, that I not fear. And so, Lord, I now turn from my self-directed life, and I turn to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come and be the Lord of my life. I ask you, Lord, for the gift of eternal life. I ask you today for peace. 
In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, I pray this morning that for those that prayed that prayer, that the peace of God would come over their lives right now, over their hearts, Lord, over their minds. God, I, I pray like just like the angels that manifested themselves from the spiritual realm into the physical realm, that your peace would be the same, that it would be otherworldly, that it would be indescribable, and that it would rule over every heart and every mind here this morning. Jesus, we thank you for saving us. We thank you for coming to earth for us. We thank you for your love this morning. In your name, amen.